Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and this week I'm happy to share a conversation with two of my favorite artists, Tehran and Aomari. They're based out of LA and they've been making music together going on a decade and made fans out of the likes of Q-Tip and Diddy. Some high praise there. They started really turning heads with A Sucker for Pumps in 2011, then The Great New Wonderful in 2015. Now, they're back at it again with The Wonderful Ego Trip. This episode, I'm going to do things a little different. You won't hear the usual theme music. Instead, you'll hear some of their catalog. Tehran and Aomari make great music, and they're a good conversation too. Here's their story. I want to start this off by... First of all, giving you guys a chance to introduce yourselves because, I mean, I know your music and have been following what you guys have been putting out for a while, but there's a good chance that you're getting someone listening to this podcast who hasn't heard your music yet. So if you could start off by uh, introducing yourselves. My name is A.O. Mari, and um, obviously the, the other half of the group is Tehran. Uh, we've been making music going on 10 years now. Started off as solo artists. Then came together with an album called A Sucker for Pumps. This was in uh, 2011. Yeah. You look good. Smell good. Talk proper. You're not the talk of the town. Many of you good news. I said you good news. Meaning I would do anything to write a story on you. You got a man just pull on you. It was out, his album about relationships. And, uh, but... The thing that stood out about the album was that we touched on topics with, which typically weren't touched about, like the nuances of relationships, whereas, you know, a lot of music that you hear out, you know, even then and now, you know, through all time is really about, you know, the fantasy of love or, you know, hmm. it's not necessarily all of the different struggles that you deal with when you're in love or falling out of love. So, But, um, yeah, we've been making music for going on 10 years now. Uh, I have a lot of music out there, a lot of dope music. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get, get into more in the interview, so... Uh, yes, yes, we will. <laughs> uh, by way of an introduction, I want to ask each of you, first of all, the first album that changed your life, and then the most recent album that changed your life. First album that changed my life... Damn, that's real... That's kind of... Maybe Stevie Wonder Inner Visions. That was probably, like, the first album that kind of was just like... Actually... Brandy, tripping. Brandy, self-titled album. Okay. The first Brandy album. She was just young, and she was incredible, and she sang, and the songwriting was crazy, and she was fine. That was that was my <laughs> and that was my okay. I'm trying to do music because I'm trying to get close to Brandy, and I wanted to be I wanted to you know be able to to, to know how to do what she did like vocally and stuff like that. I, I wanted to. I, I, I was always like trying to be a singer in the beginning beginning when i was a kid kid i always wanted to sing it was never really on some rap shit for me it was always on some singing shit hmm. recent album that changed my life Pimple butterfly was dope mm-hmm. oh unknown mortal orchestra shit really everything they i mean thundercat uh golden age of apocalypse i don't know uh really just a lot of a lot of that stuff but i, I guess i'll just say for the sake of just keeping it funky uh Unknown Mortal Orchestra, uh, Multi Love, that album, the the their latest album that they came out with, just kind of blew my mind and 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 a lot of the phrasing and the way that you know Ruben, the lead, you know the main singer, he writes on guitar is just crazy to me. Um, but yeah, those that, those are my two probably. Four Forty Four is awesome too. Hey Omar, you've thought of any yet? Man, I thought of a bunch. I really can't 
I'm not very good at thinking of first, hmm. except my first rap. I remember like at least the first lines of that. <laughs> but um, in terms of albums, first they're like albums that an album that changed my my life. Illmatic, you know, Nas is Illmatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in terms of when it, how he approached writing, you know, a lot of a lot of people at the time wasn't really like as dope at concepts, you know, conceptually as Nas was, and still, you know, in his catalog is so crazy. Like, I feel like. I kind of feel like Nas's catalog is slept on right now. Hmm. But, and also he was like 17, 16 when he wrote that, which is crazy even by today's standards. I mean, yeah, it's just crazy by time standards. Uh, recent album, I mean, how recent are we talking? I want to know the most recent one that's changed your life. And it's probably been something else. It'd, be, it'd probably been other albums after that that I can't think of, but uh, Radiohead's In Rainbows was an amazing uh-huh. album when it came out. You know, It was amazing to me that you know, a band who've been working together for so long could bring their sound full circle and make it sound as if they were tapping into, like, their roots. So it sounded like vintage Radiohead, but at the same time, it still sounded like progressive hmm. Radiohead. So that was an incredible album. Also, I, I might have to, like, co-sign that. Um, maybe not in Rainbows, but for me, it was Kid A, because a homegirl of mine put me on to OK Computer when that came out back a like, long time ago. And then I was just hella in the Radiohead. And then they came out with Kid A, which was like not acoustic guitar at all. It was a lot of electronic idiotech is on it and all. So yeah, Kid A. Kid A was actually, that was the mind blowing. Oh, wow, you can really do whatever you want with music. Brandy was more like my introduction to wanting to make music, but the one that like blew my mind of like, oh wow, it was like it was that it was Kid A. To continue with the the bit of an extended introduction for you guys, so both based in California now and have been for a good while, but that wasn't always the case for each of you. Uh, if you could take me back and and paint a picture of your hometowns where you grew up and what the influences were around you at the time, growing up. Influences for me growing up, like, I mean, obviously, I'm, I was born in the Midwest, 60901, positive. My uncle was a blues musician, very accomplished blues musician. Cousins was thugs. You know, so it was either hang out, do 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 craziness, mm. or you know, uh, getting you know getting involved with that, maybe playing some football or something like that, or doing music. So because I lived in my uncle's house, I was I was always playing music. You know, because me and my brother we lived in different houses. I lived in my uncle's house. My brother lived in my other uncle's house, and and all of my cousins. So like, if we was in different houses. Oh, it would have been on. It would have been way different for me. That's for sure. But, you know, I grew up kind of in his house. So he was playing blues. So I wanted to play music, too. So I started playing the viola, started playing the trumpet and all those kinds of things. And that's how I really kind of got into music. So I used to just sneak into his room or into his little studio they had downstairs and just hide in the in the laundry room and just <laughs> listen to all of him and his friends. They wouldn't let me down there because they smoked cigars and shit. So, like. <laughs> I used to just kind of like just like stay in in the little laundry room for hours, just peeking through the crack in the door, just watching and seeing what they did, and then moved out here in like in the nineties, you know what I mean? And like uh, uh, 
in like the mid nineties, um, moved to LA. didn't really do too much music. Mm-hmm. You know, I really didn't have, actually I did. I met, uh, Lawrence, who's uh, part of 1500 or nothing, like the CEO of 1500 or nothing. Me and him went to middle school together and, uh, you know, he was playing drums and I was playing trumpet at the time, but he came in the classroom and the teacher thought he was in the wrong place. They were like, yeah, you know, you, you're supposed to be in the wrong, you're, you're in the beginner's band. He's like, nah, nah. And he was like, hopped on the drums. He started cutting up. And everybody was like, oh, okay, you really are. Because he's, you know, he's a young kid, but he was younger. He looked younger than everybody thought he was. And then that shit made me put down the trumpet, start playing drums with him. So me and him got like real, real tight and, uh, you know, kept, kept making music, did musical theater all through high school. Little Shop of Horrors? Yeah, Little Shop of Horrors, Pippin, uh, Brighton Beach Memoirs, Cabaret, you know, History of American Film, did Moliere, all the Shakespeare, all kinds of stuff. And then, because uh, I always knew I wanted to be on stage, so like being on stage and like having that commanding experience of like balancing out the stage, knowing where the dead spots on the stage are, all that kind of stuff. That mm-hmm. I was really fascinated with that. And then um, maybe like senior year of high school, I was like, okay, let me actually get this rap, rap, rap shit to try. Hey, Omari, what was the early years for you? I mean, you grew up in a, a well, you were born actually same state, but then you grew up in Georgia. Yes, yes. Um, so, so we were, uh, I guess, um, we were similar in that respect. We were born both in the Midwest. transplant bread and Southside, LA resident, youngest to Lynn. And we moved around a lot. Uh, so uh, most of my family's in Chicago. So I left there maybe around seven years old, six, seven years old, moved down to Georgia. My mom wanted to move the family down there because we lived in a bad neighborhood and my, my older siblings were getting into trouble. So she just wanted to get out of there. So I moved down to Georgia, maybe around third grade. And then I would, you know, most, growing up, I spent my time mostly in Georgia, raised with my mom, but I would spend summers or like holidays in Chicago. And I'll split time between my family, my father and my mom. Uh, and also spent like two years in boarding school in Pennsylvania. This was prior to moving down to Georgia. So my mom was already trying to just get us out of, you know, get get the kids out of the Chicago element. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, moved down to Georgia. Uh, my my father my father is a musician. Uh, he played bass and keys. But because I didn't grow up with him primarily, I didn't you know pick up you know an instrument at that age. But I was encouraged into music because I just had a natural, I guess, you know, inclination to. I was just attracted to it. So I was in chorus. I got kicked out. You know, I played the violin for a couple of years, did recitals and stuff, but you know, quit that. You know, so I was always into music, but it was always just a side thing because what I was primarily into at first was illustrating and drawing and painting. I used to write my own short stories and write and come up with my own comic book characters and create my own comic books and do all of that stuff. I used to read a lot. So I guess... Through that is how I got into writing because from that, I guess I just had a natural talent for English. So I always had great grades in um, English class, but I picked up actually rapping from my older brother because he was the one I got into it first. Mm-hmm. So we used to we just play around in freestyle. And I just remember one time it was me, him, and um, our other brother from another mother, Najee, who was just freestyling in the room. And I was just going for a long time. I was just super young. And then, you know, I just felt like, man, you know, this is, I really like, you know, <laughs> there's something there. 
And then I just kept on, kept on doing it. But I was actually into the writing aspect aspect of it more than actually rapping. So when I first started doing it, I didn't know how to write to a beat. You know, it took me, Mm -hmm. I had to teach myself how to write to a beat because I started, when I first started writing raps, I was on a computer. I was online writing raps to people in in like a community, like on different forums and stuff. And we would just battle each other with like raps we wrote down or to be typed up, a text scene, whatever they call us. Mm -hmm. So from that, I had to like learn how to get in, like how to write a beat because I was like, man, you know, I like music. Like I'm into, you know, I'm into, I like dancing. I want to, make music make songs and stuff so i had to learn and, and it was a learning process but eventually picked that up during high school you know i had like the studio so all of my homies would come over to my crib and we would record and then i would put together like my mom had a printer like she had like dope ass magazine paper printed out the cover and stuff printed like 50 covers and cut them out with you know, with scissors and stuff, and put them into the little like CD CD cases, and took them to school, and like was trying to slang them for five dollars or something. Like, you know, just little mixtapes rapping over other people's beats and stuff. And around this time, you know, when I was on the internet a lot, is when I used to go on Yahoo Chat, mm-hmm. and that's where I met Tehran because we used to frequent these these little rap freestyle chat rooms where you would go in. You know, everyone had the little desktop microphone that you put on top of the desk. You don't know one half of a duo. BF to Aaron, BFF to Tadon, met him on Yahoo, X Carnivore, X Liquor Robo to Mario and Specs, yes, the nigga raw. It's like a yellow, you know, you know, cream color. And you're able to just talk to people, you know, all around the world. And this was like kind of the beginning stages of being able to do that. Now it's so normal, obviously. But this is like the beginning stages of social networking. We're not really even think about it. We're just wild by the fact that we could talk to somebody in a different time zone immediately. So we just sharing all this information and going there freestyling and battling. And, you know, eventually, you know, that's how we met because he will go in there. I'll be in there freestyling. He'll be in there more so like sharing, you know, his music and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then time passes. I end up going to school out in the Bay Area. He lives in L.A. And then I take trips down there and we, we start building, you know. But it all started from me being in Georgia, him being in L.A. and Yahoo. Right. We didn't know each other in Chicago or nothing like that. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because it's a very 21st century story of meeting somebody. You you first connect online in a chat room, and here you are years and years later, still together making music, multiple albums deep. Uh, it's a pretty pretty fascinating way that relationships can be made in that way. For sure, and that shit used to be really weird to people. It's like, well, you met him. Yeah, yeah, that shit was super creepy. It's <laughs> almost like, I feel like, it had like perverse undertones back in the right. day. Like yeah. you met somebody online, you always pictured like you're gonna get kidnapped, and you know what I mean. Like it was mm-hmm. always like this, you know, this fat dude with like a shirt half his size on, <laughs> in a van. with the cul-de-sac in the yeah. van. You know what I mean? Like with no windows in the van, with no <laughs> windows. You know what I mean? Like five o'clock shadow, online yeah. predator. You know what I'm saying? It was always that 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 was like, yo, you about to meet with somebody online? Ooh, watch <laughs> out! You know what I'm saying? But it was all right. That was normal. But you guys turned out okay. Yeah, yeah. We, we figured it out. We worked it out. The last time I spoke with you guys, it was right after the Great New Wonderful, which came out 2015. Some of us, some of us, went out in with a fancy automobile, automobile. 
No bills in a bank account filled up, filled up, filled up. In love with a love like love is real. And at the time you had Q-Tip saying he was a fan, you had Diddy shouting you out. With pretty big cosigns from where it all began for you guys. First, you know, meeting in Yahoo Chat. Take me from then up until now, what your past two years have looked like. Uh, past two years. So we dropped The Great New Wonderful. It, it was kind of a weird time for us because uh, we were like kind of in between management at the time. And then um, we locked into management. So that's how we did like the Levi's ad. We did like mm-hmm. an ad, for, a couple ads for Levi's. We linked up with uh, Mark Ronson and vibed out with him. And and then uh, our manager passed away. Mm-hmm. So um, rest in peace, Dominic Trenier. He passed away. And that kind of like shook us up because it was like in the middle of like us figuring a lot of things out uh, as far as uh, our brand and sound was concerned. And then, um, you know, he passed away and it just kind of, you know, took us by surprise and we kind of shut down. We didn't do any videos for the great and wonderful. We kind of, but still managed to hit like 10 million on Spotify. We just kind of like, we, we, we really shut down. It's the best way I can explain. Um, yeah, we had to reformulate, like just regroup, kind of, you know, just regroup and see where we were going. Like, where was our brand at now? Where are we at management-wise? Where are we at business-wise? Um, you know, like what, where do we want to go from here as a group? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, business-wise was a big one. Business-wise mm-hmm. was something that we were figuring out with Dom. But, you know, we had folks around us at the time who weren't necessarily you know, as passionate or as empathetic as he was. So when he died, there was a huge void and a huge gap in in, 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 in our business as well as our uh, brand was concerned. We just, we just, after he passed, it really kind of made us look at the people who were around us. And it just, it, it wasn't, it, it didn't have the same love. It didn't have the same, heart that he did so you know we were like okay let's let's shut it down but we were still producing and we were still making music and we were still working i was still playing guitar and that was another thing too like you know in those two years i learned how to play guitar so and we produced a lot so you know the for the great and wonderful and for this new album we produced the whole thing both of them so that was kind of, you know, just a lot of learning, I guess. Yeah. A lot of learning and growing and, you know, mastering, right. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's tough when you lose a, a, essentially somebody who's a friend or a family member. You spend a lot of time with the manager. It's a very a very close relationship to have with him. just knew a lot. Like, he, he managed D'Angelo. Like, he was Mark mm-hmm. Ronson's manager. He He's responsible for the Space Jam soundtrack. So, like, I believe I can fly all that shit. He's responsible for all of it. You know, he's responsible f- mm-hmm. for uh, getting Jay-Z to write Bugs Bunny's verse on that album, on that Space Jam soundtrack. You know, Nika Costa, the Blow soundtrack. Like, he, he was just very smart. So, like, having somebody that was that smart and, you know, he, he knew he, he's from the Diddy era. So he remember he like he knew Diddy and all of them. And, you know, so he came from like a different era. So when he talked to us, he was really like guiding and mentoring us. 
you know, through a lot of it. And then when he passed away, it was just like that life source was right. kind of cut off. Because he had worked with a lot of artists that people, like, people would say we, you know, remind them of. Hmm. Right. Or people mm-hmm. say that we are in the lineage of. So he understood. You know, and it's hard to find that. It's hard to find someone who's experienced, but also um, patient and, and you know, has vision. You know, it's hard to do that, you know. And impassionate, you know. Sometimes you find someone who's passionate, but they don't have the experience. Or you find someone who's experienced, but, you know, they work as if they're entitled, you know, because, like, they're using their experience as leverage against potential in your relationship. So, you know, it's it's just the music industry shit, you know, we had been dealing with, which also helped us to to grow as artists and uh, create this new music. So it's been stressful, but, you know, rewarding at the same time. So you have that experience happen to you between albums. What what then got you back in the studio and focused on the wonderful ego trip? It was really just... um just grabbing the bulls by the horn and, and um, realizing that we had something to say and realizing that we were on the path ourselves. We were growing ourselves and, you know, regardless of, you know, what we were going through and how other people we were with weren't growing in the same direction. Like it doesn't mean that we should stop, you know, doing what we do when there are people who care about what we do. Right. You know? We used to get talked out of a lot of shit, hmm. you know, a lot of shit that we wanted to do. We used to get talked out of it. So this album is re- it was really just therapeutic, just venting, you know, being mm-hmm. being being um, ego tripping on every fucking body, you know, like really connecting with all of that anger, all of that frustration and, and ego, you know, because like with the great and wonderful, we talked about you know trying to navigate and avoid connecting with that ego. And we always knew we wanted to do two albums. We always knew we wanted to do The Great and Wonderful and Wet. That was always the plan. But mm-hmm. there was a lot of, after we released The Great and Wonderful, there was a lot of pushback and things that we were getting. Like, we, we legit had A&Rs and shit like that tell us, like, yo, I love The Great and Wonderful, but it would be better if y'all were white. It'd be mm-hmm. easier to sell this thing if you guys were white. You know, like, so it was a lot of that type of shit. You know, um, a lot of other managers, you know, saying this and that and the third about us and talking down on us and shitting on our name and all this other type of shit. And they know who they are. But like it was really just this is like the venting. This is this this wet album was really like, okay, fuck all of you. Let's do it. Chill, huh? Like some sage and yoga, yoga, yoga. Vegans ain't with beef and right now. Nah. Depends upon the motor, 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 the motor merrier. Nah, apparently rock with us. I'm very off the sucker shit. Shucking, jiving, chicken, scratching at me like you back. Y'all gonna see the devil. You know what I mean? It, well, for me, I can't speak for Ayo. I just know that me, yeah. there, there's that guy inside of me because of where I come from. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've always been you know, trying to be Zen and trying to be cool, especially like around the great and wonderful. Like I'm a vegan now, AO's vegan. Like we mm-hmm. really become more empathetic to like people and situations. You know, I've made amends with a lot of the craziness that I've done in my past. But while I'm on that path, there's always been people kind of throwing little shit at me, you know, throwing stuff and, you know, just trying to pick at you, poke the bear type shit. So this album was really like, all right, now you're going to get bit. All right, now, now it's now you're gonna see the devil for real, you know. So 
and just looking looking the devil in the face because I feel like that's what not only we as humans have to do at some point, but we as a country have to do, we as a planet have to do. We have to look at the evils and the the, the negative of who we are and deal with it. Because the more that we sweep it under the rug, the more that we hide it, the stronger it gets. So this wet album is really about that. It's about, you know, not sweeping it under the rug and just focusing on the great and wonderful side. Like, no, engage with that negative side, you know, come to terms with it. Same thing with, you know, the, the Confederate flag and the bringing down of the Robert E. Lee statues and all of the stuff that's going on in America. Like, let's not sweep it under the rug. Let's deal with the alt-right community. Yes, they should have a voice. Let them talk. Don't sweep that under the rug. Cause it's gonna get stronger. Let's talk about it. Let's have these conversations. Let's let's look the devil in the face. Not calling white folks devils in no way, shape, or form. Am I saying that? But you know, you know what I mean. But like, it's it's that you know. So that's kind of what the wet album is and has been within the great and wonderful. And now it's been a lot of uh, you know a lot of ego. You know, from not only from our perspective, from mm. the ego that we've come in contact with. So it was it just helped make yeah, the album right. to be honest yeah how are you how are you feeling about the album Omari? similar uh, place that you're coming into the album with and that that same feelings of of uh being looked over or it's that and it's also dealing with ego in, within yourself you know what i'm saying and like uh because the ego is not just it doesn't always you know it just it doesn't always just come in the form of anger you know it could come in the form of self-loathing or self-doubt as well you know what i'm saying or mm-hmm. depression or because that's really what it stems from is you feeling as if you don't get a, a certain type of deserving recognition or respect or, you know, uh, so I think, yeah, it definitely came from that place for me. Just, well, for me, it really came from the place of like just struggling with whether or not I'm of value enough to continue doing this shit, hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and when you when you're not actively you know because we kind of you know kind of just took a hiatus we kind of been on many hiatus hiatuses throughout our career when you take a hiatus sometimes you're not engaging like with with your fan base or engaging you know the people who show you support on a consistent basis sometimes you 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 forget you know you forget that people actually do care people are looking for this music this music is you know poignant is important for right now you know. And despite there being so much music out there, there there is place for this. So, yeah. You know what's weird though is that, like, I I think that there's this energy, especially primarily with hip hop music, is now, 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 now. Give it to me, give it to me, give me now, now, now. And if you take a two year hiatus, is what we call it. You know what I mean? Like Radiohead can do that, and I'm not comparing us to Radiohead or anybody at all. But there's other genres they can live life a little bit and then put that life into the album. Whereas hip hop is so disposable where like you can be gone for two years and it feels like an eternity, you know what I mean? And then like, and and I think that's kind of why artists don't grow with the exception of a Kendrick Lamar. You know what I'm saying? Kendrick can do, you know, good kid, mad city and then do, you know, to pimp a butterfly. But you know, those albums weren't like 
within they may he, i think he took like two years off there were there were a couple years in between yeah sure. you know what i mean but like but look what you got and you know same thing mm-hmm. with damn like it's we we give we give certain people room to mm-hmm. grow and you know change sounds i, they I start guess. questioning you and like you know how they start questioning you whether you whether you're good or not, you know, that two years past, like, eh, mm. I don't know, maybe he ain't really as good as I thought he was. You know what I'm saying? He's taking his lungs. Like, come on, man, this is this is music. We gotta live, experience yeah. this in order to create it. You know, so there ain't no time, ain't no time, you know, frame for that. Yeah, I think it is a it's a hip hop thing. Uh, that what have you done for me lately? Uh, that pressure, it doesn't really exist in other genres for whatever reason. Right, for sure. You brought up something interesting as well. This idea of of ego. Well, I think you were talking about finding finding it hard to decide whether it's still worth pursuing music. I think you know when you take that hiatus, if you're not actively performing at shows, then you're not seeing that reflection night after night of of people in the crowd there to see you, and you're not seeing that immediacy of of fans uh, responding to your music. Do you think that's part of it as well? Yeah, I, I think I think that is part of it. Uh... It's also just an interesting relationship being a creative within a, a music business, which is not creative at all, you know, because um, creativity isn't necessarily broken down into numbers. But when you have to start thinking in terms of numbers, when you engage in a career in music, you know, it's, it's a learning curve to do that because then it's because then it comes into the quality versus quantity, uh, you know, conversation. Right. Do I have to be this type of artist that outputs like this in order to, exist as an artist right now or you know can i be an artist that takes my time and still have and the same impact and it's interesting because our most popular album culturally was probably a sucker for pumps would have been the same if i didn't get a name nigga dig it dang it dang nigga dig it bang dig it dig it bang it bang dig it bang she looking good uh, 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 uh. Our most popular album financially was The Great New Wonderful. Like, The Great New Wonderful did, like, I can't even compare the numbers. Like, it's it's absurd Mm -hmm. what we did with The Great New Wonderful. You know what I mean? And it did well overseas. So that was another thing that kind of opened our mind. It was like, wait, there's a world out there. You know what I mean? Like a world that doesn't speak the mm-hmm. language, that doesn't speak English, but they, you know, the musicality of the mu, you know, mm-hmm. that really does matter and it counts for something. Mm-hmm. So it was just, it, it was, it was, it was interesting to have something work that was a perceived low point in our career, like the great and wonderful. Some would say, ah, oh, no, nah, that didn't work. But you know, Mexico City, Spain, you know, uh, Madrid, like. You know, all those people out there like are really, really into the great new wonderful. So it's just weird, you know what I mean? Like it's like, what is success? You know, like it, right. it made me really kind of question the whole smoke and mirrors of it all. It was like, mm. you know, as long as you're connecting with people and the world is big, you know, we think that you know, oh, American culture is it's like, yeah, yeah that's but people in this world. I don't give a There are people in this world who don't Mm -hmm. give a fuck about the people that we think are popping in in the States are not popping in some Mm -hmm. places. (laughs) And it's it's crazy to me. Like we were in and and it was the first time that it ever happened where that culture shock existed. We were in Sweden 2011 before Sucker Pumps came out. We were at a party Mm -hmm. 
with like the most popping women of Sweden, like supermodels, soccer player dudes, all kinds of like famous people. A song by Smith and Wesson came on the radio. Like Smith and Wesson, mm-hmm. like the old 90s group, Smith and Wesson came on and everybody went crazy. Me and AO were looking at each other like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? Like they love the most underground-y, underground sounding rap music. And they knew all the words they were rapping. So it was like, whoa, the world is bigger than we thought. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And different. It's a good reminder to have. It's, I think it's that struggle and sort of tug of war when you marry art and business, right? Trying to uh, continue to do the thing that you love, but also make a go at it and, right. and have it be able to support you financially. Right. When you, Especially when you have start, you know, those conversations and you're meeting with label heads or, or, or you're meeting with people who are thinking of it from that perspective, you know, and it's, it's a necessary thing to think about too, but but then you start having all these doubts and, and second guessing yourself of, of what the what the art's really going to be and the value of it, right? Right. Right, right. So you, you've talked about a sucker performance before. It's, it's being a relationship with a partner and then the great new wonderful about a relationship with yourself. You've already talked about ego too with this new album, The Wonderful Ego Trip. I mean, it's right in the name. Uh, but that's that's something that comes with a lot of weight because on the one hand, it's, it's something that, you know, you want to have pride in yourself and you want to have enough to keep your head held high, but then too much ego is also a problem. And that can lead into... Uh, questions of doubt or or arrogance or fear or insecurity and all kinds of things. What does that uh, ego word look like for you and, and what interests you in, in tackling it on this album? A friend of mine said a long time ago, he was like, yo, we were drunk as hell. <laughs> He's like, you know what? We're one of millions of sperm and we were all racing and we all raced and beat millions of other sperm to get here. And now we're all competing over who has the best trophy. Hmm. So like he said that to me and it always stuck with me. I don't even know if he remembers saying this to me, but he told me that and it stuck with me. And that's, it's kind of that, um, the older you get, the more competing against other people becomes a problem, like a real problem. You know, when you're younger, you're always competing with people. But when you get older, you're a little harder on yourself. You know, because folks start getting married and having kids and having careers and and you start to see huge milestones happen in people's lives and you really start to compare. And not to mention just with the influence of the Internet and, you know, being able to see so many pictures and so many like lifestyles of just how people are living and you start comparing like their highlight reel to your behind the scenes. Cause you really know what's going on with you. So you start comparing yourself and like, I did a lot of that. Like it would just eat at me, eat at me. You know, I'm pretty sure Ale might feel the same way. So it was really just like helping other people cope with it. But more than anybody, just helping ourselves. Like, because we can't make music that's fake. So we got to talk about how we feel, mm-hmm. you know, like no matter how insecure it might sound or no matter how you know childish it might seem. We can't 
Like we've never been the type to make music that wasn't honest and true. Like it had to speak true. So I think that's kind of what it was, you know, just growing up and getting older and trying to make sense of this crazy world. And then you start to notice that everybody's ego tripping, our own president's ego tripping, you know, people who everybody's going through it in some capacity in different different ways, but we're all ego tripping and it's all connected. You know, like someone might be sexist. Someone might be racist. Someone might be classist. Someone might be uh, a species, <laughs> you know, <laughs> someone who eats hella animals and I'm not knocking anybody. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go on my PETA trip or nothing like that, but there is a, uh, there is a slavery involved in that, in that industry, you know? And I think it's, you know, this superiority complex that we have to think that, you know, we are better than someone. And I think that's kind of what engages and triggers that ego for all of us, you know, whether it's us mm-hmm. saying, oh, man, we got better music than this person. And, then, you know what I'm right. saying, saying all that kind of shit or, man, I'm better looking than him. Why is my ex with that person or, you know, just yeah, all right. of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff? I feel like it's, it's all rooted in this fake ass superiority complex that we have that eats at ourselves that that eats at us you know so. yeah because at what point does healthy competition turn into self-conscious competition right where you feel like you're just doing it because if you don't do it then you're not enough in a certain aspect for someone else or for a certain situation or for a certain job or for you know whatever you know so it should, and you know, it's an interesting concept. It's definitely something we all deal with. And all of our albums that we've made has been something that people deal with, but, you know, expressed from a personal place. So, you know, this is, a, this is another album about relationships. This <laughs> is <laughs> <laughs> a relationship with the ego. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That, that whole issue of comparing yourself to others, uh, it's, it's so hard to get away from, but so can be so destructive yeah. you know when you when you are seeing how other people are in their stages of life and you're not there yet or you think you're not there yet and really you're on just two separate paths and, and it's hard to uh remember that in the time and it's not necessarily a bad thing to compare yourself to someone else because we want to be better yeah. like if i see someone doing something uh you know that might be healthier than i might be living those are good things that i might want to influence by but i think there's this idea that just because you're doing something different than me that means you're better than me and and Mm -hmm. and i think that's when it becomes it's not an inspiring it's 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 very it, it shuts you down you know so i think there's a difference between like being inspired and being you know self-conscious right because there's healthy competition too exactly there's a great quote i can't remember who said it first but i'll give credit to my best friend for passing it along to me Uh, a flower you know doesn't look around to see what other flowers are doing it just blooms right Mm -hmm. right and then uh we have this song that's not going to make the album but we're going to put it out at some point it's called cracking the egg and uh i feel like the book is right here cracking the cosmic egg there's this book that the homegirl kenzie let me borrow and then she took it back and then I eventually just bought my own. But it's basically about recognizing that your reality isn't what it seems. Like we're all essentially in our own personal eggs, right? So if I see you crack out of yours and, you know, I see a wing pop out and then I see you start flying mm-hmm. and then I'm like, fuck, when am I going to fly? But I might be a fish. 
You know, I might be right. something else. It's the whole, uh, if a fish spends its whole life judging itself by its ability to climb a tree, it'll live its whole life believing it's stupid. Right. It's that idea of, you know, just because, like, we're all evolving different ways. So although I might admire and love the way that you're growing, that might not necessarily be how I'm supposed to grow. So it's, it's, it's that idea as well. Uh, I want to ask you about a quote. Life is way too short to be worried about looking like you care. Oh, yeah, for real. Right. Life is life is too short to to worry about, you know, falling down. What? You don't want to look stupid. Too cool for the cool to be a be true, but the truth to set you free. G-double-O-D, Mona Lisa. Lisa Bonet, Lisa Bonet. Every dog has a day. Every day has an end. And the end just get on out the way. You can do it. Life is too, like when it, like a baby, right? A baby is walking and he's learning. And when he falls, you know, parents might giggle out of, oh, look, he fell. But that baby doesn't, like, dive into, like, fuck, I'm not walking. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not going to, oh, beat yourself up, baby, get back up, keep going. And I feel like there's this, the more that we learn to talk, the more that we learn to talk to ourselves. And that's a bad thing, you know. I feel like we don't give ourselves a break. And life is too short to worry about all the times that you might fall and scrape your knee. Life is too short to worry about getting it wrong. You know, you you should get it wrong as often as possible. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying be reckless. And I'm definitely not saying be callous or break people's hearts or steal from people and all those kinds of things. But I think it's just get over it faster. Forgive yourself faster is basically the sentiment of that. Hmm. Like, because so often, you know, people forgive us for the shit that we do, but we don't forgive ourselves. And we walk around Hmm. all of that shit, all of that, you know, self-loathing. And people are like, man, I chill. Like, I I have the homie right now to this day who's like, yo, get over it. Come on, man. Like, we're, we're cool. We're all good. And, you know, there's still parts of me that's like, man, I just wish I could go back and fix how that went down and you know but it's kind of just a reminder to myself of just like yo like accepting apologies is just as important as giving maybe even more Mm -hmm. you said something interesting in there about you know allowing yourself to fail i think giving yourself the space to grow right because because failure is when you have opportunity to grow when you're getting outside of whatever your comfort zone is and and that space for you that feels safe and you're not really doing much you're not really growing you're just kind of existing in the same space that you've been in you're already in that groove uh but then allowing yourself to get outside of that is where the magic starts yeah to happen. Mm-hmm. it's the ridicule that we're afraid of it's people that laugh at you and say ha ha you're doing it wrong even though they might not know the right way from going off the ground but they still you know because people love to see you get it wrong because it makes them comfortable that they got it wrong, but they'll still say, ha ha, you got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't have it right. You know, And at the same time, we hate being told that we have something wrong. Having, you know, held that belief for such a long time. You know, if we, the older you get, you feel like, you know, you shit, you know, when someone challenges you on it, you want to hold on to it. You know, you're going to be, you're going to challenge them back. Until you figure out you're wrong and then coming to terms with the fact that you, you've been holding on to a wrong idea for so maybe a decade. You'd be like, fuck mm-hmm. that shit, man. For real. It's difficult. Yeah. 
And like it's 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 scary too. Cause like imagine and that's kind of why I have sympathy for a lot of the the people who are tripping right now. Like just imagine, right? So like you've been living in your bubble for so long about what you know you know relationships are supposed to be between man and woman, between you know, uh, uh, races and those kinds of things. And then everyone starts saying you're wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a very, just imagine how they feel. And I'm not necessarily making it a, a case for white supremacists or any of those types of people, but you know, their world is coming crashing down and they have to scramble and figure this shit out faster than, Never anybody well you know what i'm saying like the, the older ways of thinking are coming to a screeching halt and they're scared because they're like fuck well i have to undo like 20 30 years of ideas in a year or i'm gonna lose my job or i'm gonna you know what i'm saying and it, it's gonna ha- it, it happens to it's gonna happen to some everyone at some point you know what i mean like you're gonna be posed with some information that goes against everything you thought was real, you know, and, and it's your responsibility to grow, but it is a very, uh, it's scary. It's scary to be wrong. It's, it's very scary to be wrong. Like I've been wrong. I'm of course I've been wrong and we've all been wrong, but like, and sometimes it's like, you know, you're wrong, but it's like, it's embarrassing to be wrong. So fuck that. Nope. I'm not wrong. I'm right. Even though in your heart and in your mind, you know you're wrong. But you just hate looking like you don't know it. You hate looking like a failure. You hate looking like, you know, you hate to be so old and so dumb. It's the ego thing again. For real. Yeah. You guys just put out a song called Airplane Mode, which I think is another part. I mean, it it touches on a little bit, but this, this idea that we are so connected to our phones at all the times and and uh the importance of sometimes just turn that off and i don't need you popping a lock in with you would you put your phone down let me rock one would you could you put it on silent let me stop with you put it on silent let me stop with you when the vibe with you your vibrator be vibe killing is you adhd so you feeling me i'm feeling you you know i could tell underneath all the cool you glow and, and looking away from the screen, getting away from that constant feed of comparing yourself to whatever's on your Twitter feed or your Instagram feed. It's, a, it's just an interesting time. How, how have you felt um, affected by this constant 24-7 nature of social media? Well, I think it's just an interesting um, time we live in because we're connected more than ever. But at the same time, we're disconnected more than ever. You know, we live in this 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 state this this state where we're able to create these um, alternative identities for ourselves and project that onto the world without having to deal with any immediate consequences or any consequences at all. You know what I'm saying? So it like it creates like um, an augmented reality, pretty much. It's an augmented reality. The internet is an augmented reality that we all exist and play in, where we share ourselves, but we share ourselves in the best way possible, you know? So we all have the sheen that we carry where we don't have to deal with any real issues. And then when there are real issues, it's easy for us to, you know, escape away and not have to deal with that, you know? And 
and just being on the internet. I mean, there's many things that being connected constantly, many anxiety, like it causes an anxiety. The idea that if you're not connected, then you're going to miss out, you know, especially if you want music in this career, we're talking about hip hop where like you need, need to be consistent and be out there every day and stuff. That idea that if we're not out there every day or if we don't release an album every year, then we're not going to be relevant or, you know, it's just it's just a lot of like smoke and mirrors that it, that, that it creates. And obviously, you know, technology is great and being able to talk to someone in an instant, you know, on the other side of the world is great. I think any invention is incredible because it has the capacity to do great things, but also has the capacity to do terrible things. So that's definitely um, some aspects of airplane mode and, you know, how to play with your ego. This album that's coming out, are you going to tour with it? Are you going to take it across the country or beyond uh, outside the borders of the United States? Yes. Hell yeah. We are. Um, By any means necessary, yes. Last album, we didn't do that. We talked out of a lot of blessings. We talked ourselves out of blessings. Can't nobody make us do nothing. Yeah. You know, like we were influenced and inspired to do something other than what our souls wanted to do. This ain't going to be that time around. It ain't going to be that this time around. Uh, And I think it'll just give us a lot to play with because we have both sides of the coin now. Mm -hmm. We can go the great and wonderful, which is this, you know, uh, nice. Everything is cool. Everything is lovely. Happiness is guaranteed. guaranteed. And then we have the, I'll stab you in the back to get mine. So I think it'll be fun to play with those 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 concepts, and I think it'll be uh, a definite fun thing to take on a road. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll be fuck that. We out there for sure. Have you guys made it to Canada yet for a show? No, no, no. We've only been to Sweden. We haven't even been to Chicago. Sweden, yeah. We haven't even been to Chicago. A lot of people. There's There's a lot of, we haven't been to Miami. We haven't been to Tech. Well, no, we've been to Texas. Yeah, South by South. Texas, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of places we haven't been. I want to ask you guys about the nature and the and the just the landscape of LA and Southern California and sort of what you guys came up in musically uh, in the last little while because there's been so many people that have come out of that area. It's such been a, been such a rich uh, cultural outputter of music. I mean, you guys collaborated with the likes of Anderson Pack. You've been, you know, around Dumbfounded. You've been around Miguel and Blue and Exile and all these artists that are coming out of the same space and making incredible music. And it all sounds different. What is that like to be in that sort of incubator for uh, great music? Incredible. I mean, you get to, you get to be around the greats. Yeah, I think she might be Settle me down to my wife uh, uh, Taking my time but moving like speed uh, But playing it too close, she might leave uh, uh, She got that cold crush uh, Digging it now, I want the gold rush uh, Feeling the breeze, we on the west side You know, we get to be around some of the most incredible And share ideas I think that's really, that's that's really what I've always really wanted. You know, like obviously the money and all of that, the fame and all that. But what attracts me attracts me the most is the idea of like building with the geniuses of our time. Being in a room with like a Pharrell to where I can say something. And he's like, yo, good idea. Has that happened? 
No, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, that well, well, that's on the but you know, like you list. know, with the Miguel's and the Anderson Packs and Blue and Exile and you know the 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 Schoolboy Qs and all of the geniuses that are in L.A. You know, mm-hmm. I've had we've had the the blessing to be in rooms with these people, and mm-hmm. we're not whack. Because it's one thing to be Kobe Bryant in your backyard dunking from where you think the free throw line is. Then there's another one playing down the block at the court. You know what I'm saying? Where everybody's playing at. And you're like, wait, I'm actually kind of nice. As a matter of fact, yeah, he's nice, but I can maybe teach him a little something while I'm learning something as well. So I think it, it's just it's just a, a, a great mm-hmm. place to be. You've said before that this album would be your last together. Uh, is that still the case? And and if so, where do you envision what might come after? That was the ego talking. Yeah. It's ego tripping, you know? Honestly, we were thinking of um, shortening our name from Toronto Elmar to just TNA. That was Dom's last... That was like one of Dom's desires for us. He was like, Toronto Elmar, nah, man, it's too... It's too hard. You know what I'm saying? Too hard to say. Too hard for people to pronounce. TNA, TNA. But then I'm like, hey, these motherfuckers can say Tchaikovsky. You know what I'm saying? Like, why the fuck, <laughs> why the fuck people can't say black? Why we don't force them to say our shit like mm-hmm. they force us to say they shit? Keep That's it a sure buck. Shit. Fuck all that dumb shit. My name is Tehran. And you should pronounce it as such. If you could pronounce Arnold Schwarzenegger, goddammit, you could pronounce Tehran. Real shit. But rest in peace, Dom Trenere, we TNA too. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation right there about black kids having more acceptable names and stuff in order to fit into society easier or make it through society. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to wrap things up with one more quote, and this is a, a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote. The only person you are destined to become is the person you decide to be. It's basically get out of your way. Yeah. Be who you are. That's a really like, it's something that you can't really understand until you've lived some life. Until you've come into many situations where you could have, where you, where you are fully aware that the decision you made had an impact on the outcome. And that, and if the outcome was something that was undesirable, then, you know, you think about that decision and the power that you, that you could have had, you know what I'm saying? So it's definitely something that you have to live in order to understand. It's one of them statements that's like very simple, but deep as hell and very complex. But yeah, just really, it's really just about understanding the power that we all have as people. You know, we, we, there's a lot of people in this world and sometimes we might feel overwhelmed. We might feel that as an individual, we might not have an impact, but one person is as strong as 7 billion people, you know? Those seven billion, seven billion people are all looking for inspiration on this planet. We're all looking for the same thing. We're all looking for something to connect with. So if that connection comes from one person, then it's just as powerful. Anything else you guys want to get out there yet before we wrap things up? Uh, yeah. Everybody go check out It's a Trip. The video is out right now. This goes out to the head now that you get when the bass boom Got 10s, 12s, even got 20s for the sub it is a trip it's trip um it's on spotify and apple music and title 
Also check out the new single we got out called Airplane Mode that's on all streaming platforms right now. We'll be touring next year. We'll be out there touring and checking y'all out. I hope y'all enjoy all the music. Matter of fact, if you haven't heard of any of the music that we've done, go and check out Spotify right now and stream everything that we've done because it's on there with the exception of our solo stuff. It should be on there, but we rapping on a lot of other niggas' beats, but we can't do that. So everybody just go, uh, you know, check us out and and, and, and pray for the people in, in Mexico and Puerto Rico and help out if you can. Donate as much water. Actually, we posted a list of things that you can donate or that they're looking to be uh, donated on our Instagram. Follow us on Instagram, Tehran and A.O. Mari. And, you know, you can check out the information on there. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Try to be good people and, yeah, love thy neighbor. Yeah, we got some fire shit. We got some fire-ass shit for y'all coming. I can't even put extras on it. It's flames. It's coming, though. Wonderful ego trip. I appreciate your guys' time. Uh, Thank you very much for the conversation. Man, thank you, too. We're on two different apexes, too, because we're over here drinking liquor. You drink a water. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta stay hydrated. Good talking to you, Martin. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. If you want to check out Toronto Naomari's music, you'll find them on SoundCloud, Bandcamp, Spotify, and iTunes. If you enjoyed the show, you can do me a favor, hit subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It's on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can also help out by passing it along to someone else you think might enjoy the show. Theme music for Story Untold is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman, and this was a Story Untold. See you next time. (laughs) 